the prolific author of more books than I can count, host of the Mondo Method and Armcast podcast, and runs the successful podcast network, Project Entertainment Network. Also, he's a coffee enthusiast. How's it going, uh, Armand? It's going, it's going pretty good. Maybe I should uh, introduce you as Armand Rosamelia. <laughs> Sorry about that. Everybody knows who I am. Okay. I actually got a coffee real quick before I got home. Uh, I have a Wawa coffee, hazelnut. I was curious. Do you miss that at all? We have Wawa down here now. No shit. Yeah, and uh, I'm down here in Jacksonville, Florida, and maybe uh, four or five months ago, we actually got Wawa down here. And I was, being from Jer- Jersey originally, I was very excited. And my wife was like, it's a, it's a, basically it's a gas station. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> So we're going to have like a fucking meal here. You know what I mean? This is like Wawa. This is like serious stuff. So, uh, and she had, actually, we did stop at a Wawa last weekend or last week. We were on our way down to spring training uh, <clears throat> to see a ball game. And they, the bus, we were on a bus and they stopped at the Wawa and uh, she got a sandwich. It was her first Wawa sandwich. She's like, this is pretty good. I said, see, I told you. I said, and of course I got to get coffee because I, I do love the, I do love the coffee there. What, do you have a particular flavor that you like? Oh, and also maybe because like you and I know, but I'm I'm originally from New England, and uh, my I met my uh, wife. She went to college in Providence. I lived in Massachusetts, really close to Providence, and that's how we met. And I had no fucking clue what Wawa was, but when I after <laughs> when I went down to Jersey, she's from Summers Point. When I went down there, I was like, wow. Why is this not everywhere? So if I feel like you would describe it better than I would. Could you describe it for anyone that is unaware of what Wawa is? It's just like for people who don't know, they're like, oh, it's like 7-Eleven or it's a gas station or it's like whatever. And I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) So it is so much more. So um, we were on our way. We travel out to like Biloxi a lot and we go out there uh, to the casinos. My wife loves to uh, play the slots. So on the way out there, they put in a Bucky's. Do you know what a Bucky's is? I'm not familiar. So Bucky's is like wall uh, is like Wawa on steroids. It's like huge. It's like <laughs> there's like 400 gas pumps, and it's like like five six times the size of like a Wawa. And so I was like all excited. I mean, they have like a store. Like you can buy t- you can buy shirts. You can buy like camping equipment. It's crazy. Uh, so I was like, of course I got to try the coffee, and I'm like. All right, it's the coffee's all right, but it's not Wawa. And and at the time, my wife didn't understand it because she still hadn't um, been. So she's like, "It's not that good." I said, "It's good coffee, but it's not. It's just not Wawa." I said, and Wawa's not even my favorite, but like for gas station type places, um, you got to try Wawa. And it's coming into so many more states now, which is really cool. So that's awesome. And when my parents first came down here, first off, the, they had the same reaction as. Pretty much all my friends and family that uh, were asking me and haven't been to Jersey, they're like, why? Why? And um, I brought them, when they came down, I brought them to Wawa and I said, you got to try it. And my brother, sister, and mom really liked it. My dad's reaction was like, it's okay. It's like a Cumberland Farms. And I honestly, I was a little offended. (laughs) (laughs) Cumberland Farms. Relax, pops. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't get that whole thing. So, um, how long have you been a podcaster for? Because it's, it comes off like you've, you've been there pretty much from the wave of podcasts exploding all over the internet. 
Uh, I've been podcasting for about four four weeks now. So, no, um, so I, I started my coffee. Up. <laughs> podcasting itself is about it's over six years now. Right. So Armcast is like three hundred and thirty episodes or something, and that's like every every Friday I put out a new episode. Uh, but before that, I was in I was in um, AM and then FM radio. So I I kind of cut my teeth doing three years of that beforehand on a radio station and um, me and another author would interview at like seven o'clock from seven to eight. We were, no, no, from, yeah, from seven to eight, he would do like a uh, classic rock show, uh, like deep cuts of like Zeppelin and stuff like that. And then from eight to 10, he and I would do a show where we would interview local authors, artists, things like that down here in uh, Flagler beach, which is kind of between Daytona Beach and St. Augustine. And then from 10 to 12, I would do a heavy metal show. And then I would go home. So we did that for, you know, a number of years, and it was a lot of fun. But uh, it just, the driving got to be too much, and it would wipe out like half of my Saturday. And uh, actually, the guy who runs it, uh, Vern, he suggested, hey, why don't you do some, why don't you do the shows from home? And, you know, I had no idea how to do that. And when we started doing it, basically what I didn't realize, but probably my last four or five months, I was recording podcast versions of my shows and just putting them up. And it just didn't have the excitement. You know, people couldn't request songs or anything. It really didn't work. And but in the meantime, I started really listening to a ton of podcasts and I really got into it. And I just figured, you know, what, let me let me start this. I I. I got into podcasting selfishly because I wanted to pick the brains of other authors and steal all their great ideas. And I <laughs> wanted to be able to talk to publishers and get that inside scoop on, you know, when their next reading period was or and, and then get me out there to talk to them. And that's worked because I've sold a bunch of books over the years because I've gotten like the inside scoop. And after I'll, I'll pitch a book or something after the interview is done or they'll ask me um and, hey, what do you got for me? Kind of thing. So it, it's definitely it's definitely worked. That's actually similar to why I started doing this. Uh, I got into Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan experience, about two years ago, and I was interested that he wanted to diversify his show, but really it was just him. He's curious, wants to learn um, everything that he can, and I kind of feel that's how I am as well. Even though it's mainly focused on horror, um, I want to know the author behind, like behind the author. I want to know the person, how they think, and a lot of the times you can go like, "Oh yeah, I'm very." It's relatable. I th I think like for me when I started, actually when I started it was, you know, Armcast. I would always say. He's in a dead sexy horror podcast. <laughs> and I I interviewed a ton of great horror authors. And then it got to the point where I was also writing other things. I also write contemporary fiction. I also write crime thrillers. I also write nonfiction. And I was doing, you know, again, selfishly, I was talking to all these great horror authors and publishers, but I was finding um, I was missing out on the thriller authors and publishers and other people. So I started slowly mixing them in, and I think for like the last, say, two years, it's been, you know, uh, Armcast Dead Sexy podcast, because I, I mean, just this week alone, I've 
interviewed a, a Western author. I've interviewed a nonfiction author. I've, I've interviewed um, a 21-year-old who's still in college who is writing basically about um, the black experience growing up in Indiana. Um, uh, tra- I've had a transgender author on uh, over the last couple of weeks, and it's just uh, science, a sci-fi and fantasy author. So it's, I don't, as long as you're interesting, as long as you're an author or a filmmaker or actor or pro wrestler, whatever musician, I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to hear your story. And so that's kind of been the fun of, of the last couple of years, because I think if I was still just going, okay, let me interview, you know, let, let me interview Mark Tufo or, or Jonathan Maybury or Tim Wagner or, or, you know, whoever, Josh Mallerman for the 10th time, I think I'd get bored with it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. As far as Armcast podcast goes, I tried looking it up. I, uh, so I really only use Apple, um, pod, I don't know what the fuck it's called, the, the app on uh, your iPhone for podcasts. I can't find Armcast podcasts on there. Well, you're is, it, <laughs> is it not on there? <laughs> it's, on, it's, it's on there. So uh, there's two people in this world who can't find it. Apparently, you and Chuck Buddha have something in common. <laughs> but it's on, you can literally find it on, so we're through Libsyn, so you can find it through projectentertainmentnetwork.com. Okay. And it lists all of the ways you can find the podcast. So it's iTunes, Google Podcast, it's Stitcher, it's uh, we're on Roku, it's on, I mean, it's on all of them. So there's no excuse for you not listening. That's a good point. Well, I've been, honestly, I've been hooked on a few podcasts. One of them is Inkeis, the other one's Brian Keene's Horror Show, and the third one, the latest one, is your, your and Chuck show, uh, The Mondo Method. So I got into that at the end of February, and then I went back. I listened to a few new ones, and I'm, I'm just going through from the beginning. Um, I'm on, like, episode eight, I think, and it's I love it. It's really interesting because I, too, am a writer, so I'm taking mental notes on the – the do's and don'ts, and some of them are obvious, but maybe they aren't, because it, it seems like a lot of beginners kind of stumble into what you guys are covering. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It started out, um, you know, it started out that I had known Chuck. Chuck actually stalked me for a while, and then he <laughs> showed up. I, I did a book signing in, in uh, Belford, New Jersey, which is where I grew up, and he showed up out of nowhere. We had talked online for a little bit, and... He, um, he, he, I think he brought like 30 books that day. Like he went wow. crazy. And I, I remember it's the funny thing was I said, I got more books outside. And my wife's like, I'll go out there with him. And, you know, and so she went out to the, to the car and she pulled the boxes and he bought a ton of books. And afterwards somebody said to me, you know, you didn't even know this guy and you let him go out there, you know, with your wife alone. And I'm like, she could easily kick his ass. I wasn't worried too much about that. Um, and then, you know, just from us talking and just from us going back and forth, we were at Scares and Scares I Care uh, like three years ago. And I said, you know what? I would love to do a podcast with you. I was looking for a second podcast. And of course, you know, the arrogant me was, hey, I've been doing this for almost 30 years and you've been doing this for like three years. So I'll just teach you, you know, I'll just teach you the ropes, kid kind of thing, even though he's two days younger than me. Um, and then I quickly realized right from the beginning that, wow, there's so much that I've either forgotten or never did or did poorly that Chuck is now doing and, and some of it he's doing well and some of it he's doing awful. And so that was kind <laughs> of, you know, how we were doing it. Um, I don't yell at him as much as I used to. He doesn't do as many stupid things, although there's a, 
a couple here and there that he still does. Uh, but that was the fun for me. It was it was kind of a, a refresher course in different things. And each week, which is cool, is he brings up the subject. So I have no idea what we're talking about until literally he says, okay, now we're going to talk about Twitter or we're going to talk about, you know, could, I have this article I want to talk about. It, it could be anything. And um, so it forces me to think off the top of my head and to really work it. And I like that better. I like that better than me knowing what we're going to do ahead of time. So have you learned, can you honestly say that you've learned a lot or um, that's mainly Chuck and new, new people to the writing scene learn more? No, I think I've learned it. I think I've definitely learned a ton. So in an episode we just did that um, probably will be airing around the time that this one does. We just did Chuck kind of did an experiment with audiobooks. <clears throat> So I'm on ACX, which is part of Amazon, and he started using Faraway Voices, which is a completely different company that I am not familiar with at all, and it's all, like, Greek to me. And afterwards, after the episode, I immediately went, okay, i got to change my whole thinking on this because I'm missing out on a big chunk of the market and everything. Uh, so, like, I love when I have those moments because – as much as we joke around and Chuck's always taking notes, I'm taking just as many notes on the stuff he's bringing up. So it, it definitely helps. It definitely helps both of us. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of the same thing with Armcast. It's, it's selfishly, I do these episodes so I can help my own career. <laughs> well, I think that's a pretty good idea. You, you, you're doing really well with uh, Mindle Method. Um, I've learned a lot. But as far as Armcast podcast goes, um, how do you – approach each episode like i i heard you in a i can't remember which one but i heard you in mono method mention that you don't write any notes so i'm just curious how you can carry on such was it like an hour episode well most of the interviews now are about i i try to get anything between 20 and 30 minutes mm. i don't think for me it's there's other uh, podcasts that really can dive dive deep that hour hour and a half and you learn all about, but they usually do a ton of research and everything. Um, I didn't want that. I wanted a conversation. I wanted to not know what was going to come next. I didn't want to know, you know, a set of questions and that kind of thing. I just thought that was boring. And when I first started, I had done the very first podcast I was a, a guest on. The woman had 10 questions. And she literally just went down and asked me the 10 questions. And even though I gave her some follow-up stuff, I hoped she ignored it and basically just asked the next question. Oh. And I was like, that is awful. I, I, it, I don't want that. I, I never want that. No. And so the first, I got lucky because the first two interviews I did for Armcast was Mark Tufo and John O'Brien, who I was, you know, very comfortable with. And I had, uh, I knew them and I had met them in person and everything. And we always joked around. So that was kind of I, the first, say, six or seven episodes are interviews with people that I knew, people that I was comfortable with. And I was able to just have a conversation. And that's that's kind of where it goes. So it's it's cool now if somebody sends me a message and they say, hey, I, I want to be on the podcast. But they send me all this information. I'm like, all right, thanks. I don't look at any of it. I literally want to know, <laughs> like, your bio, your very short you know, five to seven lines of your bio, which I, I use in the beginning of the episode. And that's kind of my guide. So if you're mentioning uh, other things, like I just had 
someone on who she was a, a part-time archaeologist. Six months of the year, she's a writer. The other six months, she's an archaeologist. Oh, wow. So I was like, all right, let's talk Indiana Jones. Let's talk Josh Gates. Let's talk, <laughs> you know, let's talk, you know, and that was that was the conversation. But if I already had my questions in front of me, we might not have touched on any of that stuff. That's a good way to look at it. What would you, and you don't have to go into too much detail about this, but what would you say is like the most uh, out of left field conversation that you've had on, it doesn't even have to be Armcast podcast, what's the most bizarre conversation you've had? Or maybe the one that you've never thought you would have, but you did have. Pretty much any time Chuck opens his mouth, <laughs> and that's an easy that's an easy one. Um, because I well I laugh because I just when me and Chuck get on together, so we record usually two episodes every other Monday. We used to record every week, and that just got to be too much with um, you know with his everything going on and me everything going on. So I basically just hit record as soon as we start, okay. and a lot of times he's just he just going on and on and a lot of beginning episodes is he doesn't even realize that we're even recording. Now that being said, sometimes we say some really shitty things about people joking around because we, we both have that Jersey humor. Um, so I, I always have to make sure I delete all that stuff, but um, I've had, I've had some interviews. <laughs> like, I don't want to get into specifics because I don't want to call anybody out, but yeah, of course. All right, so, so put it this way. I'll have, I'll have interviews with people and Frank Edler who does Bazong podcast. Uh, and I've known Frank for a long time, also a Jersey guy. He listens every week. He loves, he loves Armcast. He'll listen and he'll send me a message or a text all of a sudden, like, you know, where the, it basically like, where the hell did you find that bad shit crazy, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of thing. And, and it's funny because now I know when I'm, sometimes when I'm doing these interviews, I got Frank in the back of my head. He, and I'm, and I'm thinking, Oh my God, this, he's going to go crazy. So, we had a, I had a woman who said something, and I, I'm not going to say what it is, but it was really off the wall the way she writes. And my wife was in the living room, and my office is up front. And so I knew she was listening. You know, she was reading. So I, I said to the woman, all right, let me, let me see if I got this straight. And I repeated it. And all of a sudden, I hear the, the, the couch. <laughs> and my wife comes flying across the room looking at me. And I, I knew she was gutting, and I just... Kind of shrug, like I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but then afterwards, she was like, "What did she say?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's like it's nutty the way she." I, I mean, I, I yeah, it's just a lot of uh, things like that. Frank also picked up on the fact that during an interview, sometimes if I like if I'm done or um, I want to like okay, let's get back to the interview where you, you we're kind of going out in the weeds. I always go nice. And then I jump in and I didn't realize I was doing that until Frank started pointing it out. So now we do it to each other constantly. I love how often you refer, how often Chuck refers to him as Mr. Frank and you just refuse to call him that, which by the way, <laughs> if Frank ever hears this or we ever meet, I'm sorry, dude, I'm not calling you that either. Not because of, <laughs> not because of you, Armand, although maybe a little bit, but for the simple fact that I hear Mr. Frank and I'm, I'm thinking he's like something like drop dead Fred or it's an imaginary friend. Just a right. zany, over-the-top fucking guy that just wants to do silly things a 12-year-old boy would do. <laughs> That's my perception of it. You know what? And you, you're not far from the truth. You're, you're <laughs> not far from the truth. Hopefully, we'll still have these book signings coming up in June for Beers oh, and Fears. I um, hope so. Because I, lo I love hanging out 
with Frank and Tim Meyer and Chuck Buda. I mean, uh, J.C. Walsh will be with us on these signings as well. And, I mean, we just have the best time. And I, I, my wife knows. She's like, you might not even sell a book, which, thank God, we, we sell a lot of books. <laughs> she's like, and it wouldn't matter because you guys are just having a couple of uh, drinks and you're just goofing on each other and watching Chuck get drunk and make an ass of himself. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, it's just it's just such a fun time. I want to meet Frank and you and all of them. So I hope that does go through. I'm actually not to drag on about this because I'm sure no, most people don't give a shit about this, but I am going to meet JC Walsh. Uh, me and him tech sometimes and hopefully with like Tim and some of the other guys to just hang out. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, right now I'm not drinking. So uh, how about Dave and Buster's video games and coffee? Yeah. He's down for that. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, actually, I, I don't drink a lot. I'll have like one or two uh, when we do the breweries, which is funny because um, everybody just assumes looking at me, oh, he's a big drinker. And I'm like, no, I'm really, I'm really a lightweight. Like we went to Spellbound a couple of years ago and they had this like whiskey barrel beer or something, and it was like I don't know, twelve and a half or something. It was, but I had two of those, and all of a sudden I was talking to Tim, and Tim started laughing. He's like. You should sit down. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Uh, yeah. So I was like, uh, somebody get me a chair. Yeah, I, I was loaded. It was two two drinks. I was gone. Have you ever had uh, Dogfish Head? The, that brand, Dogfish Head? Uh, I believe so, yeah. They're out of Delaware, and my wife and I went there um, to the brewery, and we were just riding bikes for the whole day. And uh, – on the menu, it said alcohol content, 17 to 22 <laughs> percent. So I didn't get my wife was like, you're not fucking getting that. I'm like, all right. So I got one that was half of that. The guy next to me, he said, hey, I'm not finishing this. Do you want it? It was the one I wanted to get. And I was I was fucking hammered that whole day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't handle it. I'm a big dude, too. But like, I'm a, I'm a fucking lightweight. Oh yeah, that's what that's that's me too. I'm totally a lightweight. Now I'm a, I'm a big fan of bourbon. I will uh, I will have a couple of shots of bourbon every now and then, and we've gone to places, and I do enjoy that. But I get fucked up real quick. I mean, like, what's I'm, your favorite? What's your favorite bourbon? So obviously, I, I I love Jack with honey. Any any bourbon, any whiskey, but let, let me hold on. Let me let me grab it. Great radio. My wife bought me. Jefferson's Ocean, which, which is aged at sea. So it's a blend of straight bourbon whiskeys. It's a small batch. So what the cool part is, is it crosses the equator on a boat at least three times during the aging process. Does that actually help it, or is it just to sell more bottles? I, I guess it works because she bought it. <laughs> but it's, it's real good. It's 112 proof. That sounds pretty good. I, I would like to try and that. And it just go, it goes down so quick. I mean, yeah. it is just freaking delicious. I, I wrote that down. I'm on. I gotta try that at least once. There is another bourbon, Jack Daniels. Um, it's after Frank Sinatra. I think it's called the Gentleman Jack. Does that sound familiar? No. Um, so the one that I'm particularly fond of, it's not straight up bourbon, it's bourbon whiskey, I believe, is Johnny Walker Black Label. That's very good, yeah. That's another one. Uh, uh, two shots of that and I'm loaded. <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, okay. I had to get my mind straight for a minute. I'm thinking of bourbon now. Um, 
So you, you've done a lot of podcasts, and I, I know there was a show before the Mondo Method. I can't remember who it was with. You did a about, was it, 18 months with someone? someone uh, yes, else it, was, it was me and Mark Tufo. We did Arm and Tooth okay. uh, together, and, and we basically, it was the two of us interviewing not just uh, horror authors, but a lot of different, um, we had a couple of good musicians on, and we had um, filmmakers and just a, a lot of just random funny, cool people, and that went, yeah, that went for a while. We just got very, both of us together got very busy, especially him. I mean, he, his career just took off. And uh, I had known Mark since, we'd known each other since our first books, you know, so we knew each other for a long time. So when I approached him to do it, he was hesitant just because he was so busy. But we made it work. Uh, I think there was only one or two episodes where he wasn't able to do it because of commitments. And I think I pulled Jay Wilburn in um, to cover for him. But then towards the end, it got to be so, it was just it, it was just like there was no way he was going to be able to record. So we we but it worked out because at the same time that he and I decided okay we're not going to do Arm and Tooth anymore is when I approached Chuck to do uh, the Mondo Method. Well, that worked out. Uh, was there a podcast before that, or was you and uh, Tooth is I can't say his last name. Was you and Mark's podcast your first one? Well, Armcast was the first one, okay. um, and then I wanted to do a, I wanted to do the second one with him. So then when it when it dropped, well, I knew it was coming to an end, um, and it all happened really fast. But I was like, you know what? I don't just want to do just the one, and I want to do something else. So I literally thought it up on the spot as I was talking to Chuck because Chuck was the first year he was at scares, he was getting, um, you know, he was like really down on himself and he was like, I don't, I shouldn't be here. And I'm, you know, I'm a faker and you know, all this <laughs> shit. And I basically grabbed him and dragged him into the hallway. And I was like, shut the fuck up. You, you deserve to be here. Stop being like that. And he was getting advice from an author who he was just kind of getting bad advice from this author. And I basically, <laughs> I, I basically explained to him, who the author was and, and how she or he lived their life. And it had nothing to do with their writing. You know what I mean? Mm. Like they were spewing, like making it like they were making millions of dollars. And I'm like, no, I know for a fact this isn't happening. Um, and it, for him, it was just kind of like that, you know, the light bulb went off like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I shouldn't worry about everybody else and all this. And that's when I, I mean, literally maybe an hour later, um, I was sitting at my table selling books and it hit me and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go grab Chuck and I'm going to ask him if he wants to do a, a podcast together. So that's awesome. Um, there's a lot of bad advice out there. Like I started really considering writing myself in 2013, it, I, honestly, because of my wife getting me back into reading and that was a domino effect. And I joined Twitter back then and it's, <laughs> Like, as a, a completely newbie writer, um, you just really got to do your research, find the right people to listen to. But what what would you give uh, – what would your advice be to give newcomers or maybe writers that kind of hit a plateau? You know, there's a ton of advice. And, like, you know, the Mondo Method, we give advice all the time. Yeah, but great advice. We, we always preface it with this worked for me or this didn't work for me. And that's why we're giving it to you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it might work for you. I mean, you, you just don't know. Everybody has a different way of uh, a different system to write, to promote. I mean, all of it. That's kind of the fun of this. But I, I and, and the problem is, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. So just in the last 10 years, I mean, I've been full time for eight years in the last 10 years of putting stuff with Amazon and all that. It changes so quickly. And one day box sets are the thing. And then the next day, nobody is buying a box set. And, you know, uh, went through a period where everybody was releasing short stories on Amazon, 99 cent short stories and making we were making tons of money. And then that bottom fell out. So you, you have to not get totally set on this is OK. It works now. Your mindset needs to be this might not work in three months or six months. And you have to keep evolving. You have to keep doing it. I mean, I think that's really important. And I see a lot of authors now, which is funny because I've been doing crime thrillers since uh, my first one, first 30 Deeds was out in January 2016. And now I'm seeing it over the last, say, year and a half or two years, a lot of horror authors are doing crime thrillers and getting into the supernatural thrillers and stuff because we've kind of all hit that plateau as a horror author. Mm. You know, I could put out a horror book today and I know X number of sales are going to be had. I, I I know what the market is for it. Whereas if I put like I like I just put out a Dirty Deeds Eight just came out, and it was probably about almost three times the number that I would have had if that was a horror book. Wow. Because it's just there's a it's just a bigger it's a bigger fan base of readers. Now the the uh, the other side of that is. For me, I think that my, the horror readers are way more passionate about you as an author. So those are like your, those are my loyal readers, you know. So I'm always going to put horror stuff out because I love horror. That's my first love. Um, but when I, I know when I put the thrillers out, I might sell like three times as many books, but I have way less conversions of people who are going to buy anything else, you know. So it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Um, and long term, I struggle with that because I obviously I want to continue to write full time. I don't want to go back and, and get a real job. That would really suck. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, you know, I, I, I pump out as many words as possible on, on as many things. But I'm aware of, OK, the next book is going to be this idea. This is my horror book idea. And then the next one will probably be another Dirty Deeds one or I'm writing a noir crime thriller or, you know, whatever it is. So. I'm aware of trying to put out books that will, some of them will make me money and some of them will be for the fans. That makes sense. Um, how have, how has the evolution of the horror, indie horror scene been since the time you joined from now? Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. So in the, I had my very first short story, uh, was released in uh, 1988 when I was a senior in high school. I wasn't even alive. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for you to be an asshole, and thank you for being an asshole. Um, so in the 90s, I put out a I put out a zine. You probably don't even know what a zine is. You're so young. Uh, but I they were basically, it's a magazine. <laughs> well, it's 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 a fan magazine. So they were like okay. xeroxed, side stapled. Oh my god. Um, you know, uh, kind of things. But we actually used a printer. Uh, so I put out Black Moon Magazine for a number of years in the mid-90s. And, I mean, we had full-color covers, and we had 
I had interviews. I had um, a really great interview with on one of them, which we, we ended up doing like 5,000 uh, issues and sold completely through on all of them because I had Marilyn Manson on it. And that was right Holy when the shit. first album had come out. You know, so oh, nobody. I love that one. Yeah, so nobody even knew who Marilyn Manson was. And uh, I got to interview uh, the bass player, Twiggy. I got to interview him at the Stone Pony. And it, so, but we had a ton of really, really great horror authors. Charlie Jacobs, she was in there, who she recently passed. Mm -hmm. um, we had a lot of, of really good authors in there. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Brian Keene, I, I rejected one of his stories, he tells me. <laughs> no shit. Which is awesome. So for, for me, in the 90s, living in Jersey on my own, it was everything was in the mail. There was no I didn't meet any other authors. I was just kind of on this little island on my own. And it was it was hard. And I went through a number of years where life got in the way and um, I didn't write as much as I should have. I I went through years where I wasn't being published. I didn't have any short stories out or anything. And. Once the internet really took off, and I was a late comer to it, um, it was really like there was already that group, you know, um, Kelly Owen, Keen, Bob Ford, all you know, all these uh, John Urban Sick, all these guys talk about um, being on the message boards and stuff together. Yeah, and they formed that online community, which I missed out on. And even though I've been doing it as longer or longer than a lot of them, I was not in the know. I was not in that bubble. I didn't even know that that existed. And so I had to play a lot of catch up in the early 2000s to kind of get in there. And when I moved down here to Florida in 2001, um, there still were no writers. There still wasn't anybody to talk to. Um, and then years later, I realized, oh, there, there are a lot of, of us around here. And so I started hanging out with other actual authors and and doing things. And I got to do signings and different things. And so so for me, it evolved. It, it, it evolved that way. And it was always playing catch up for me. You know what I mean? Until I really got serious about, like I said, about eight years ago, I really got serious again with, you know what? I want to do this for I want to do this for a career. This is what I've wanted to do since I was 12. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Uh, I think a lot of us kind of, if you're a writer, you're a writer, and you know from a, for, it seems like everyone knows from a young age. Obviously, there's exceptions. Um, as far as other scenes go, because I'm completely unknowledgeable in these areas, like the crime or thriller or whatever other genre there is, for the ones that you're familiar with, um, how are they compared to the horror community in the sense of, like, you said horror – readers are more loyal is there any other significant differences there's a lot more th thriller authors and there's a lot more thriller fans okay so horror, horror is a small community right. compared to romance or compared to thrillers or or other things it's one of the smallest but again it's the it's it's the the most rabid fan base so if they if they like you they love you but for me, I, I and I, I love that. I, I want to be loved. I have an ego. I like people liking me. <laughs> but I also like I also want to be rich someday. So I'm also doing the crime thriller stuff, which I love. But I know I have a much better chance um, that going that way of of hitting that lottery of having the the you know New York Times bestseller and and selling 
you know, um, you know, David Baldacci, I think he's up to 240 million copies of his books sold. Holy shit. I mean, that's probably a lot of money, probably a lot of money in his pocket, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm not, ch- and I'm not doing it because I'm trying to chase that money. I mean, it's a super, super long shot, but it's something I've always loved. It's something I've always read and it's something I've always written. And I was just always, uh, I didn't think I had the experience or the chops to do it. And anything I started to write, which is kind of th- crime thriller, ended up being a horror story anyway. Um, so in a lot of my stuff, there are those pieces in there. But with Dirty Deeds, I made a, a real effort to write more of a mainstream book. No profanity, no sex, no no crazy violence. Um, and that was a, you know, that was a, uh, it was tough for me. And the original concept First Dirty Deeds was a complete horror book about a hitman who kills children and then has to live with that. And then like, you know, whatever would happen, the children would come back as ghosts or, well, you know, whatever the cliche BS in my head at the time. And then I said, you know what, what if I made this into a crime thriller where he's paid a lot of money to kill children, but he doesn't actually kill them. He takes them away from the people paying him and he puts them into better situations into you know, couples who can't have children and stuff like that. Um, and then inevitably, a kid who's supposed to have been dead for like 20 years, a mob boss's son, uh, you know, basically comes back on the scene. And now everybody's wondering what's going on. So that was the basis for it. And I, but I, as I've wrote the first one, it's, it's easier now, but when I wrote the first one, um, to not have horror elements in it, you know what I mean, was, uh, was really was really a, a, a tough way to write for me. That's I want to buy. I hope that's at that signing because I actually you sold me. I want to buy Dirty Deeds. You should. You really should. It'll change your damn life. Oh my god, forever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> let me collect myself real quick. Uh, what got you into wanting to run your own podcast network? Because that's a huge task to take on. I can imagine, and I have seen the shows on. I, I just. Look, because I was curious when I first found out that I didn't know what the fuck a podcast network was until <laughs> I started wa- listening to Brian Keene's show. And I only listened to that because uh, I got into that when they were doing this breakdown about cheesing. And, and he hooked me because him and his crew are interesting. And then he talks about you a lot, which I thought was funny. And um, I just led it led me into looking at your network and. It's a lot of diversity there. There's a lot. Of, it's not all horror. And I thought that was interesting. So I did not want to own a podcast network. I had no <laughs> intention of doing any of this. Um, I met I met a guy who was running the original network at a at World Horror in Atlanta. And I met a couple called? of. So originally it was Project I Radio. OK. And. uh they were doing interviews like right there in the middle of the, the thing. And I remember Jonathan Mayberry was the guest that was on at that point. And I was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. And I maybe had like 50 episodes of Armcast at that point. So I think I was like just at about a year. And I started talking to a couple other guys who were on the network and I had no idea what, what they were doing. So I talked to the guy who ran it and he was like, oh, I know who I know who you are. I know your podcast. I'd love to have you on our network. We have, you know, the horror show with Brian Keene. We have three guys with beards, which is which was 
um, Jonathan Mayberry and James A. Moore and Christopher Golden. I mean, um, just right there, you know, go no further. Those yeah, are like huge names, huge names. So I uh, said, so sure. So I joined the network and it was maybe a year later. Um, the guy who was running it, he started flaking out about things. Um, a lot of stuff wasn't completely on the up and up as far as listeners or, or anything else. And a lot of people were getting kind of pissed off. And for whatever reason, at that point, we had a couple dozen shows. People were asking me to step in. And uh, even though I was one of the newer guys in, I just, I'm obnoxious and I can be loud and I can be very Jersey. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I had been in contact with him and I called the guy up one, one day and I was like, listen, we can do this and this. And then uh, subculture courses and clothing had come on as a, as a sponsor for all the shows. Right. And I'm the one who brokered that deal and pulled them in. And all of a sudden the guy just stops me and he goes, give me a number. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, give me a number to buy this from me. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. He's like, I just switched jobs. I'm going to be traveling a lot and you are so passionate about it. And I am not. Uh, so he's like, just give me a number and we'll do this. So, um, I, I, my wife came home from work and I said, we just, we bought a podcast network and she said, slow the fuck down. <laughs> what are you even talking about? Cause she is completely about, she is a commercial property manager. So everything for her is money and contracts and the normal stuff. Whereas I'm creative and I'm just like, Hey, we're going to do this, you know? <laughs> so we sat down with the guy, we had lunch with him and he basically sold me the network. And then at the 11th hour, he decided I can't use the name. Which would have been, which was originally part of the deal, which pissed me off. So I changed it. I was like, well, we, we came up with a million names. They were all really lame. And I just said, um, you know what? We're going to, we'll just change it instead of Project I Radio, which I never liked that name anyway, because it wasn't a radio station. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't want to just do podcasts. So Project Entertainment Network, that way we could eventually do, you know, all media. And the, but the first call I made after we sat down with the contract before I signed it is I called Brian Keene. And I said, I'm going to take this over, but I, I want your blessing. I want to know that you guys are going to back me because I knew they were mad at him. I knew they were pissed. And Dave was saying shit like during episodes, you know, yeah. uh, and Brian was like, please do that. Please take this over. So uh, so we did that. And it lasted uh, three and a half, four years. Um, you know, that way, the way the the original way we envisioned it. And um, we've made some changes recently. So uh, Brian's show um, a, a, during April, uh, Hard Show, Brian Keane, Cosmic Shenanigans, and Defenders Dialogue won't be part of the network anymore. Right. Brian's decided to do his own network, more or less, with his shows and Grindcast, um, which I wish him the best of luck. Uh, obviously, we're all still friends. It wasn't a it wasn't a personal thing at all. And uh, I know for him, it'll help him to grow, and for me. It'll help me because now I'm adding, I've added like another dozen shows oh, to the next. Shit. I didn't um, know it was that many. Yeah. And I, I actually, before we went on, like three more shows sent me their information to check out their shows and, um, and see. So I'm trying to add, I never wanted it to just be horror shows. I wanted it to be as diverse as possible. You're one stop for podcasting. No matter what you're into, you can come and you can, you can find something on the network. And uh, we're still, we're still doing that. We're, mixing in shows that we don't currently have, you know, we're, we're trying uh, different things. And, and uh, so it's fun. I mean, it's, 
it's kind of it was kind of burning me out. I was doing a lot, a lot of work. And so I've, I've figured out how to manage this a lot better on a daily, cause it's a full-time job plus writing is a full-time job. So, um, you know, so now I'm, t- we're to the point where I can add as many shows as I want. It doesn't necessarily cost me anything. It helps the shows, all the shows help promote one another. And, um, you know, a- any advertising comes in, they, deal with the individual shows and um i've pulled two long-term uh advertisers in now since we started which basically pays for all of my podcasts for you know for like the next year or so which is great yeah that's awesome how do you manage to do all that because i'm i i have trouble (laughs) running a few things myself because i got a newborn baby a a wife a house a full-time job I have trouble finding time to do all the things I want, which is read, write my own fiction, run a review platform, and set up this podcast. I, I don't know. How, how do you have time to do all that shit? You have to prioritize what's important, and you have to figure out um, each day. You have to figure out your time allotment, which is something that I've recently started doing. My wife actually made me a spreadsheet. Um, she made me a sheet, but it had to be a physical sheet. And so it has all the things I need to do for the week. So she'll go, you have to write three, you have to do three sprints a day of writing. That's a minimum. So those are the first three things. But then on Mondays and Thursdays, you're going to do network stuff for 60 minutes each of those days. And each day is about five and a half or six hours worth of stuff so that I have room for like, you know, being interviewed on your podcast or somebody wants to call in and talk or my dad's calling me or whatever. And as long as I can check those things off during the day, if I work those nine to five, uh, Monday through Friday, my Saturdays and Sundays, I get more writing in and anything I missed during the week or anything that's come up, I can work on those as well. And it's really helped me to be able to check the boxes and go, okay, I did this, I did this, I did this. Um, but it's still tough. I mean, there's still days where I'm working and it's midnight and I'm still, you know, cutting a, a an episode and, or trying to get a, a deadline done on a book. You know, I had a short story that was due Sunday and I literally wrote up until about seven o'clock that night and then I had to immediately send it to a beta reader and say, please run through this real quick. <laughs> uh, and I had to submit it. And, you know, ideally, I would have loved to have been able to sit on that for a week. But I just got busy with other things and other deadlines and stuff. So it's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough thing to, uh, to balance. And I mean, and I do this full time. So it's not like I'm, I'm leaving the house anytime or going to a job or anything, but this is, I mean, this is my job. So is it fair to, Shelly, your wife Shelly, is it yeah. fair to say that she's basically, I don't know, a better title, kind of like your manager? Oh, hundred, hundred percent. She is a hundred percent my 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 business manager. That's awesome. She keeps track of well with the network. I mean, she was she was the one who kept track of. Uh, I would just forward stuff to her. She would keep track of every dollar in, every dollar out. Who was getting, uh, you know, whose ads had to be run. Um, the Patreon, the the T-shirt sales when we were doing conventions. I mean, she kept track of everything. In fact, this morning I had to go through my PayPal and highlight everything that had to do with 
either the network or my writing, I had to color code them for her to send them so she could do our taxes. And that's like literally probably the only thing I do <laughs> all year is do the PayPal and I highlight that for her. Everything else, <laughs> she keeps track of, of of all the other other stuff, which is which is great for me. And she's, I mean, she's working a she's working a full time job and she has millions of square feet of property in Jacksonville and Atlanta and even up in Rhode Island. So, uh, you know, she's super busy with a career and she still finds time to, you know. Uh, do all this crap for me which is amazing that is amazing that look not everyone can say they got that that's that's something special you'll meet her at the uh, you'll meet her if you come down to the beers and fears because she's literally the only one out of all of us that will be actually selling the books (laughs) she keeps track of all the money she keeps track of um what books get sold she's read most of them so she can tell the person coming up about the book and then it's literally It'll be like, Chuck, get over here and sign this book for, you know, Kelly or whatever the person's name is. Mm-hmm. And that's that's our job is to go over and schmooze a little bit and sign the book. But she's already sold the book. The money's already in pocket, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. and It's a great system that works. And then when I do book signings by myself, I feel like an idiot and I feel lost. <laughs> so she, she's your partner in crime. Makes sense. Yeah. Why, so why did you move to Jacksonville? Uh, you know, as you know, Jersey is not, uh, inexpensive and, uh, we had just, <laughs> I had just had my third kid and my property taxes were like ridiculous. And I just, I was working retail management and I was, you know, going from one place to the other and not making a ton of money. And my brother was down here. My brother was in Daytona and he kept telling me, come down, just come down and visit, come down. And there's tons of jobs down here, and it's like, you know, you know, a house up there, it's like half the price. And um, so I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna go down. And I, I came down like 4th of July, and um, I said, you know what, because I was selling shoes. I was selling um, all a bunch of different places up there over the years. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I don't want to do retail management. I don't want to sell shoes. And so, of course, I got a job at JCPenney as the shoe department manager. Okay. Because that was like, all right, I'll do this until I find something else kind of thing. Right. I ended up doing that for like uh, five years down here. Oh, wow. But, uh, I mean, the, and the money was the money was great, and it was just cheaper, and I, I never went back. I mean, I literally, uh, my dad packed the kids and my then wife in the van and drove everybody down maybe a month later. And I was I just crashing on my brother's couch while I got my shit together down here. And, uh, you know, I go back because I, I miss the food. Uh, we do the book signings every year for a couple weeks, and I miss some of the friends and family up there that we'll hang out with. But I don't miss the snow. I don't miss the traffic. I don't miss uh, Parkway spending like $8,000 on tolls every month. <laughs> you know, I don't miss, I don't miss any, any of that. I can relate. Like I said, I moved from Massachusetts like five years ago, but I am in South Jersey, so I guess it's a little different because I can wear shorts almost year-round, and I'm happy. <laughs> um, so what's the writing scene like in Jacksonville or Florida compared to Jersey? Because I, I only, besides like the close circle of friends that you got with like Tim Meyer, Frank, and uh, Chuck, and a few other guys, I only know of, I'm not even... 
I won't even call associates. I know of maybe two or three other authors in Jersey. There's a lot up there. There's a there's a ton of really really good authors in that New York, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut uh, area up there. Uh, and and it seems like there's way more up there than there are down here mm. because Jack Jacksonville it, well Jacksonville itself is the biggest landmass city in the contiguous United States. But it's really like seven or eight small cities together. Oh, okay. Incorporating into Jacksonville. So, like, we're considered Ocean Way or Northside. We're up near the airport. But we have everything here. So, technically, we don't ever need to leave this side of town if we don't want to. Mm. And that's what a lot of people do, including writers. So, unless there's a big, you know, a festival or a big book event, nobody wants to travel to the other side to do any signings or anything. It's really weird. Um, so, and I've done a bunch of, I've done a bunch of book festivals in the last couple of months and I meet a ton of authors, but then that's the only place I see them. And a lot of them are, their attitude is just like, well, I'm going to, I don't, I'm just selling my books on Amazon and I don't need to do all this other stuff. Uh, I'm no expert, but that does not sound like a good idea. Like all the, like <laughs> all the, um, veteran authors such as yourself, they go out and they meet people. I, I'd be more inclined to buy books from someone that I met in person, but that's just me as a consumer. Well, I think that's how most, unfortunately, how most people feel. But a lot of writers, they look at the, oh, the table costs two hundred dollars, and oh, it's going to cost me a hotel room, and oh, it costs me food, and they, all they look at is, oh, this is going to cost me, you know, a thousand dollars. And yeah, you're not going to sell a thousand dollars worth of books at your table, but if you look at this long term, I've, I've, I've taken a bath on a lot of book signings that weekend. I've gotten killed. I've, I haven't sold a ton of books. Except if I've sold one book to you, chances are you're going to read the rest of that series, and then you're going to move on to the next series and the next series. And you you see the needle move that way. So, yeah, I might not, you know, I, I might have spent $1,000, and then I sold, let's say I sold 20 books for the whole weekend. And I made $200. So I'm like, oh, I took an $800 loss. But I think those 20 people who bought that book are going to buy 10, 10 books altogether. I'm going to end up doubling my money long term. And I get a hopefully I get a fan for life because I'm more interested in just having a conversation with you, bullshitting with you. I'm, I don't want to sell you my book. I want to sell me. Yeah. I want you to remember me. When you go to a when you go to a signing and scares the care or beers and fears or whatever it is. And we hang out and we just bullshit and talk. I probably won't even mention my books unless you bring up a question or something, because I'm there to, I'm there to have a good time. I'm there to be myself and readers remember that. Like you said, I, I love meeting writers in person. I, I those are the best to get a signed book from somebody. Uh, you know, those are the, the uh, you know my, obviously some of my best friends are writers right yeah and that's actually the biggest reason why I wanted to do a podcast is because not that there isn't a lot of good ones out there but I kind of want to introduce more people uh, to the people behind the art and um I just thought it was really jump into a <laughs> kind of different topic um, I recently discovered that 
Pennsylvania is like the mecca for horror writers, and I, yeah. it's kind of weird to me. Like, why? Why is it PA? Wouldn't it be New York? You know, I think it's it, again, it's the uh, it's just it's just a weird way. So, like, there's there's people that aren't from Pennsylvania originally. A lot of them aren't from Pennsylvania originally, but for whatever reason, they keep gravitating towards that. Um, I know the HWA Pennsylvania group, um, Kenneth Kane runs that and yeah. Chuck, Chuck goes out there every month. He'll drive out a few hours. And I know, uh, Tim and Frank have gone out there with him. And I know JC Walsh comes up from Philly and goes to that. And you know, you got, you got summer can, you got Todd Keesling. I mean, you got, you know, obviously Brian Keane's out there. You got, uh, West Southern is, is, is brand new out there. You Steven Kozanewski. I mean, uh, Bob Ford, Kelly Owen. I mean, tons and tons of really great horror authors. Mary Sandovani. Yeah, well, she's a Jersey girl, but I mean, she's she's out there half the time with Brian. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so you know, there's so many great authors there. I mean, I I, I don't know why. <laughs> it's a cool thing. The one thing I miss is getting to know everybody in the last 19 years since I've been down here. But the thing I miss is I wish I. I knew them back then. I was I had grown up with them and I had done stuff, the signings and everything else with them. I think it would have been it would have been a lot cooler. I I think I would think so. Um is Brian Keane like he look, talk about ego, and I don't mean this in any disrespectful way. I love the guy. I think he's a nice person, but we all have egos, and I'm just wondering, because <laughs> this will boost his ego probably, is he like the most you were starstruck by him because I feel like I'm gonna get like that when I whenever I meet him. All right, so let me tell you my Brian Keane story. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> um, mid mid nineties, maybe to the late nineties. I um, was it that late? It might have been like in two thousand. Let's say like two thousand and four, two thousand and five, something like that. Um. I, yeah, because I was already down here. So it's like maybe 2004. Um, Horrifying Weekend was in Baltimore. And I think I had one book out. I think it was a fantasy book. And me and another couple authors had gotten tables, uh, a table, authors I didn't even know. And so I was there and had a, had a great time, but I, I don't think I sold any books. And I go up to, I go up to the bar that night. And there's Brian Keene standing there. And I, I knew who he was. And this was, I think the rising was either out or just come out or whatever. But I knew him from reading. I, I read every short story from him uh, from the zine days, from the 90s, you know. The, the one you so rejected? I knew, huh? The one you rejected. <laughs> right, right. The one <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. I guess I, I, guess I didn't like that one that much. But I loved all <laughs> this other stuff. And I remember... Yeah, he turned to me and he looked at me and he's just like, hey, you know, hey, dude, whatever he said. And I went, blah, 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 uh, and I ran away. <laughs> I was just freaked out. And now there was some name authors there that weekend, you know, but for right. whatever reason, I was tongue tied around Brian. And I just was like, holy crap. So like for like 10 years, that story always stuck with me and that like, holy shit, I, I'll, I'll never meet him again kind of thing. And then uh, the first big convention my wife went with, uh, we were at World Horror in Portland, Oregon. 
and we were sitting in the bar area and Brian came in to check in and I was like, Oh my God, there's Brian Keen. And she has, she's has no idea who any of these people are. And she's like, all right, whatever. And I'm like, (laughs) no, you don't understand. I tell her that story. And she thought it was funny. (laughs) So that night we go to, uh, he's doing a reading. So I said, I want, I obviously want to go to his reading. Well, I don't realize that Reth James White is also doing a reading. Oh, shit. So my wife was had never read horror books. She was definitely like Janet Ivanovich, crime thriller, you know, uh, stuff like that. So no, nothing horror. She hates horror movies, the whole thing. Right. So Rath, I don't, I'm not even thinking. Reth James White reads a story basically about, you know, killing, <laughs> killing his wife and having sex with her corpse kind of story. Oh, my God. And Shelly's next to me, and she's gripping my leg. And at one point, <laughs> Rath, because he's, I mean, Rath is awesome. Yeah. Rath looks up with a smile and he's like, is anybody else getting as turned on as I am right now? <laughs> and then he goes back to the story. So she was like, don't ever do that to me again. So then Brian has, you know, tells a story, which it wasn't as uh, brutal, luckily. And um, afterwards, she's like, well, go get a picture with him. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not talking to him. So she's like, you're an idiot. So she goes up. She's like, excuse me, Brian. My boyfriend wants to get a picture with you, but he's too stupid to ask you or something like that. And she's like, he's like, yeah, 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 okay. So he walks up and he's like, hey, dude, how's it going? He's like, we're going to throw the horns? So I'm like, oh, my God, Brian knows who I am. And, and Brian knows I'm a metalhead. And I, like all this stupid shit goes through my head. So uh, so that was really cool. So then I talked to him for a couple minutes and told him who I was. And he's like, whether he knew or not, he's just like, I know who you are, you know, kind of thing. So then the next convention we do was Scares That Care by first year there. And somebody like introduced us. Like, so I don't remember who it was, but they're like, Oh, Armin, you know, you know, Brian, right. You know? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's, and Brian's like, Oh, nice to meet you. And I was like, really seriously? Like we met and I, you know, and like, so we kind of, we joked about that. So like the next three or four times we hung out or I was in the same place, I would, he would always joke. He's like, Oh, nice to meet you. (laughs) So it was cool. All that. And then all of a sudden, like, Every time Brian called, you know, would call on the phone, it was like, oh, my God, Brian, Brian's calling. Like, everything dropped, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, oh. it, it's still – I still get that a little bit. But because we work together with the network and I've talked to him, like, on multiple occasions some weeks when stuff's going on or first because of Scares of Care and, and I've gotten to do a bunch of stuff and the telethon and all that stuff. So it's really funny that while there's still a little bit of that awe factor – I also, at this point, I also can say to Brian, bullshit, you know, stop the ego crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he'll and he'll he'll readily admit, hey, this is an ego thing with me. So how are we going to figure this out? You know, hmm. have you met anyone else to that caliber such as and I know he passed away earlier. Uh, I don't know how many years now, but um, I don't know if you call him Dick or Rich Layman. Sure. No, he was he was uh, well I've I've read his stuff he was before my time when I started really um uh meeting a lot of people. Okay, so, how about how about anyone else that's in in that uh early date like the there's a lot of guys that started the splatterpunk scene that are still around today. I don't know if that's your particular scene. No, I'm not no, I'm not I'm not a splatterpunk fan. I'm surprised. Uh, no, not I mean not at all. I mean, I'm not really uh I'm not really a fan of the real, the brutal stuff, but uh, I, I obviously love what those guys did. I respect what they did. Uh, so like going and getting to hang out and uh, being in the same room with John Skip 
and listening to his stories or you got, uh, you know, sitting, sitting and just sucking in everything that Joe Lansdale saying or, oh, or Tom Monteleone or, or F. Paul Wilson to being in the same room with these guys and listen to their stories or at last scares of care, Jonathan Mayberry kind of, you know, uh, started answering questions and doing like an impromptu panel more or less at dinner. And I've known Jonathan because of the podcast when he was doing the podcast and we've, we've uh, talked a lot and we've, we've hung out and things. So for me, like all those guys are, are great, but um, for whatever reason, Brian was probably this, the big starstruck one for me. Now I, I probably will shit my pants if I'm ever in the room with Dean Koontz, cause he's my <laughs> ultimate, ultimate writer. And Brian Lumley is also another guy that I was a huge, huge fan of uh, with Necroscope okay. series growing up. So mm. off the top of my head, like those those guys are the ones that would probably freak me out and I wouldn't be able to talk. But I've met <laughs> I've met a ton of, of authors and 99% of them are just really cool, really down to earth, really just normal, amazing people. Uh, and they're very respectful as well, which I think is great. Yeah, um, and speaking of Jonathan Mayberry, like he – He's such a sweet guy. Like at least in my experience, he's a very kind person. I've I reached out to him on Instagram because that was the only way I could message him. And this is right when I was so I got handed basically the quote unquote keys to the review platform Deadhead Reviews by the original founder. And it was uh, right after I read the new Weird Tales magazine, the issue, the only issue currently that has been released under Jonathan Mayberry. Mm-hmm. And I was reviewing it, and it was a breakdown, and I'm, like, thinking to myself, that would be awesome if I could pair this with an interview with him. And long story short, he was totally cool with the – he's like, yeah, just send me – here's my email. Send me the questions. He answered everything, but there was so much insight to what he had to say. And his history with Weird Tales, it, it just blew my mind. I'm like, holy shit. I, thought, <laughs> yeah. I love Weird Tales, and on top of that, he's giving me insider scoop and saying, "Here you go, kid. You can you can have this under your name." I I was like, "Is this real?" <laughs> yeah, and and you know what? And that's a lot of these guys are are like that. And when you first meet them, you're like, "Oh, this is going to be an ego. This is going to be a problem." And and then to be able to the first time I I got to actually meet uh, Christopher Golden and James A. Moore was at a convention in Orlando. Mm. And um, I actually got to be I actually got to fill in for Jonathan, who wasn't there. I was actually the third beard for three guys with <laughs> beards, uh, an episode. And they were just so great. And every time I, I see them, they're just Jim gives you a big hug. Christopher's always smiling. I mean, they're they're really just, um, you know, if you look at their bodies of work and all the things they've done and the, the TV and the movies and the comic books and all this other stuff, you're like, oh, my God, these guys you you'll never be able to talk to any of them. And it's just the total opposite. I mean, they want to talk to everybody. I agree. And I've, I've recently talked to Christopher Golden too, and he was so kind. And I, honestly, I just can only refer to him as a sweet person too. And um, I'm really looking towards going to his book festival, uh, the Merrimack Valley book festival um, for the first time. And I feel like that I'm a little worried. Like that's probably the only thing that I can at this point, certainly say it's probably not going to get canceled. Hopefully, yeah. I I went last year. It was the first time I went. How was and, it? Uh, I had such a great time. I mean, they pack it in and they do such a great job. 
um, with all of that. And uh, yeah, we had a we had a great time. We drove me and my wife drove like 14 hours up there, and um, we did that. And then on the way back, we stopped and we had a book signing at at uh, Barnes and Noble in Eatontown, New Jersey, with Frank, Chuck, and Tim. Uh, the next day, the Sunday, and then it, and then we drove home. It only took you 14 hours to get from Jacksonville to Haverhill. Well, we stopped. Where do we do we stop somewhere? I think that was the driving time. But we we left the day before. We drove, I think maybe to Virginia, spent oh, the okay. night, and then got up, and then we drove to. We we ended up getting a hotel in Salem, but not uh, Salem, Massachusetts. Salem, New Hampshire, maybe. Yeah. Yep. There. And then uh, I was right in the middle of writing my Dunkin' Donuts book, so I had to make sure. But, of course, up there, there's a Dunkin' on every other corner, so that was easy enough. There are more Dunkin' Donuts in Massachusetts than there are, I believe, Wawa's in New Jersey. That's not a statistic, but that's from my experience. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, uh, J.C. Walsh sent me a, a thing one time of Rhode Island. You can't even see the map because there's so many there's so many Dunkins. It's awesome. Yeah, my, my friends and I always joked around because, and it was not a stretch at all from the truth, but there'd be, there's this one city called Taunton, and it's, it's a fairly big city, and there's just really, some roads are super long without curving or anything, and um, there's literally three to five Dunkin' Donuts within two, three miles from me. It doesn't make sense business-wise to me. It, But it does. We were, in a New Jer- we were in New Jersey. I think we were on... Uh, Route 9 somewhere, and we we went through the drive-through, and my wife goes, "Is that really a Dunkin' Donuts across the street?" And I said, <laughs> "I said yeah," and she was like, "Why?" I said, "Well, you see how long it took us to get through. Look at that drive-through over there." I said, "Can you imagine yeah, if there was just they're one all here? busy?" Yeah, I said they are super busy. The, uh, both parking lots were packed. I'm like, "That's," I said, "That's why there's there's a Dunkin' Donuts across the street from the other one." Good point. And is that book completed? It's completed. Uh, it's getting, it's going through the last of the beta reads, and then I am, I got a bite from a publisher, so I'm going to be. Uh, I was originally going to self-publish it just as a fun book, but a really, actually, a really good publisher uh, heard about it, and they actually approached me through another author that they work with. He recommended me. And the book, which is really neat. So hopefully, knock on wood, that will be coming out from a, a, a pretty good publisher, pretty big publisher. That's pretty exciting. Well, congratulations on that. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about I'm excited about that one. It seems like you've covered many different genres, to say the least, what we've talked about. How many, if you were to guess on the top of your head, have you written in? I, I, I don't know. When I first started, the first two years that I was writing full time uh, with short stories, a lot of short stories, novellas, and some novels, uh, I had 45 releases each year. And then my third year, I think, was like 36 releases. Books it, or short stories? Books and short stories, just what basically releases on Amazon, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, and then I... Uh, I mean, I think last year I think I had 15 releases. That's including anthologies, okay, um, books, and different things. But I try to do – there's certain things I try to do every every year, like two dirty deeds a year, um, 
a Keyport Cthulhu, uh, a Belfort story. So those right there, that's those four books have to come out. And then I I'm writing novellas for Severed Press right now. So I did a couple last year. I'll do a couple more this year that are due. Um, I'm writing a noir crime thriller. And so I, I just and I have like a bunch of I think I have like six or seven short stories already that have been uh, bought by anthologies that haven't come out yet. So oh, that's wow. OK, so that, that's that's like a target goal of mine to be at that level. That's I really write, awesome. I write 400,000 words a year. That's my goal. That was actually uh, kind of one of my questions. That's really good. <laughs> Well, I break it down. So it's a if if I write every day, which is what I do, it's a thousand ninety six words a day. That's not much. Which is a, right. Which if you look at it that way, it's not much, but it's still it comes to four hundred thousand words for the year. And right now, this year, um, my my year starts in October October first, because when me and my wife first got together, she's like, "How many words do you write?" And I'm like, "Ah, a lot." And she's like, "Well, how many?" She's, I'm like, "I don't know." She's like, <laughs> why, "Why don't you keep track?" I'm like, "Because I don't know how to do that." So she created a spreadsheet for me, and it just ended up being that October 1st was like the next day. And I said, okay, I'll start it from October to October. And I so I've done that for like five years, and I've always gotten at least 400, sometimes more. But this year, actually, I'm on pace for uh, – if I continue at the pace I'm doing, I could probably hit oh, closer to 500,000, which I will need because of all the extra extra books and stuff. So Holy shit. That, well, yeah. that's awesome. That's a lot. So in total, how many books do you think you've written? Novels? <laughs> I, I don't know. Let me, <laughs> let me let me look at my shelf behind me. Uh, probably forty to fifty novels. That's a lot. Yeah. I have one bookshelf that has all of my uh, books, you know, just stuff, novels or novellas, and then on the other shelf behind me, it's a full shelf overflowing with all the anthologies I've been in, in the last, you know, 30 years. Wow. Um, so <laughs> jump into podcasts. I actually had one other question about it, which would be advice for anyone who wants to have their own podcast, or maybe advice for anyone that wants to pursue in the long run, a network of podcasts. What would you, what, what would be some pointers that you would have for them? You know, a lot of people who jump into podcasts don't realize the time, you know, that it takes. It's not just, hey, sit and record somebody for an hour and you're done. Yeah. There's the editing, there's the promoting, there's setting up the episodes, you know, uh, no matter what you use. I use, I go through Lipson. For me, it's the easiest um, system to use. I, I like their features. I like that they... Uh, Easily, it will add you on anything new coming out, and I'm on like 60 different places now, which is great. Um, it's just the the work, the work involved, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, so I read a statistic that there's about 600 new podcasts a day that are released, and the average podcast, the average is 12 episodes before people quit. That's the oh, average. Jeez. Yeah. So a lot of people are doing one or two episodes and realizing, oh, nobody's listening. Uh, I don't have the patience to build this up and, um, you know, all that. I mean, a lot of a lot of podcasts, you know, Joe Rogan, whatever they said, he made nine million dollars last year um, 
in advertising and everything on this podcast. That's the that's the that's the big guy. That's the top. You know what I mean? He's been doing everybody it since two thousand and nine though. Yeah. Everybody else is is making, you know, they're 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 maybe covering the twenty dollars it costs them to put the podcast on <laughs> if you're lucky. Right. You know? So I, w- I would I would look at it that. And now when you're doing a network, even if you're not doing the shows yourselves, there's still a lot of work. Um because there's a lot of creative people, so it's like you're herding uh, a shitload of cats, and you're trying to get everybody on the same page, and you're trying to make sure that uh, people are, you know, dropping their episodes on the the day they're supposed to, or if there's problems, or if an advertiser comes in and wants it on a specific show, you got to, you know, I mean, there's just so much work that's involved with all that as well. Um, and it, like I said, it's a full time job for me. It's the the networking. The podcasting and all this is, um, you know, that 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 really is a is a full time job, and it's not a full time job that I'm making a ton of money on. It's just this is the part that I love. This is the part I love doing. Um, I love promoting other other podcasts. I love listening to other podcasts, and I think the main thing for a network is that they is the cross promotion. You know, all of our shows have a thirty second spot at the end or the beginning or in the middle. Uh, for advertising another one of the shows on the network. And I think that's important. On Twitter, a lot of shows will, you know, retweet stuff all the time, or they'll mention, or they have other guys on their podcasts. You know, other other podcast hosts will be on their shows talking about stuff. That's so, pretty cool. I mean, it's it's cool. You know, uh, Brian Keen, the, the horror show won't be on our network anymore. I'm still going to listen every week. Still love the show. Still, still hope he mentions me every now and then, and not in a negative way. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, you know, that's what it is. It's you have to love this. I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do this for a living. Let's be honest. You're not gonna make enough money to pay all your bills every month. But if you go into this with, hey, I'm doing this, looking at it long term as an author. I'm doing this to promote myself. I'm doing this to get out there to, to talk to publishers, to talk to other authors, to to really help my networking and stuff and maybe sell a few books here and there. I mean, um, you know, if you look at it that way, realistically, I think you're good. If you look at this and go, uh, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to start selling advertising and stuff. Well, that's, that's, that's a tough thing to get. Uh, you might get lucky every now and then, but, um, you know, like I said, I go over 300 episodes and I still at times struggle with getting advertisers in. So, Hmm. Well, you know what? We're coming up on close to an hour and a half, so it's, I think this has been a great conversation. I, uh, I actually think we're good as far as questions go. I, I got nothing else to really explore unless you have anything that you'd like to touch on. Nope, I'm out of coffee, so we should wrap this up. I just finished up, too. Okay, <laughs> well, uh, I, the last thing that everyone should know is where can they follow you? So the uh, I have uh, obviously the website, which is – Barely ever used, like everybody else. Uh, ArmandRosamilia.com. The main place I'm on, I'm on, I have an author, Armand Rosamilia, on Facebook, which I'm on every now and then. But uh, Twitter, I'm Armand Author on there, and that's the main place. I I'm still a big fan of Twitter and talking to people there. And then you can also uh, catch the podcast at uh, ProjectEntertainmentNetwork.com. And we are always looking for new podcasts and to add to the network to uh, to help promote everybody. So. Perfect. 
Well, Armand, I appreciate your time and I've enjoyed this conversation and I, I hope that uh, you're on again. And maybe I hope you and, that, maybe uh, you and Chuck. <laughs> don't do that to me. Um, <laughs> I hope that I see you in person. It does. It, hopefully all this shit blows over at some point and uh, we can actually get back to, uh, you know, book signings in reality. Absolutely. And uh, just to touch base on something you mentioned way earlier is uh, this is not going to be released until like June, probably middle June, because I'm uh, I still got a few things I got to sort out the technical stuff. And that's uh, I haven't announced the release date yet, but it's going to be May 27th with an initial six episode launch. And then I got years and some other episodes to push out in June. So um, by the time. By the time this comes out, that should be about when your uh, book signing in Philly is. Yeah, June 26th, I think, is 26th, 27th is when it is, so, so that'll be good. Yeah, so actually, that's a really good timing. Um, for anyone that's interested, if you want, um, and it's not canceled, obviously we can't tell right yeah. now, but uh, do you want to actually talk a little bit about that. Sorry to steal a little bit more of your time, but I, I didn't even think of that until just now. Didn't you just hear I'm out of coffee? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, uh, South House, I think, is the bar in Philly. It's like downtown, like South Philly. That's the Friday night. Uh, we go on before karaoke, which is good. So I think we'll be there five to nine on a Friday night, and it'll be me, um, Chuck Buddha, Tim Meyer, Frank Edler, J.C. Walsh, and uh, also local Philly author A.C. A.C. Price, uh, A.C. White. Oh, A.C. Weiss. Yeah, A.C. Weiss. Yeah, Weiss. A yeah. female author. Yeah, yeah, and she's she's really cool. I've talked to her a bunch of times on, and, and she's very excited. And uh, actually, the play the guy who owns the place is a big fan of hers. Oh, and, cool. Uh, asked if we could squeeze her in. I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. So she'll be there. And then the next day we are at, um, I think it's called Second Chance Books here in Mount Holly in New Jersey. Uh, we, we did a signing there last year. And that's like an afternoon, I think like 12 to 2 or something. Uh, and the place is great. So it's a used bookstore. So we, we spend more time because they have a, a, a room which is all horror, fantasy, sci-fi books. No shit. All used books. I got to go there. Oh, it is amazing. Tim Meyer um turned us on to it so, so there's never the four of us well jc will be doing that with us so the five of us guarantee you all five of us will not be at the table at the same time because i spend so much money in that place they have such <laughs> great books so we'll be there during the day and then starting i think at five o'clock we will be at spellbound um brewery which we absolutely love it's, it's probably one of our favorite breweries and they treat us really well and we'll be there uh, as well uh, and that was J.C. last year. That was his first book signing was there. He did his first book signing with us. That's cool. So so that was cool. And we'll have uh, Beers and Fears 2 will be released uh, in time for this as well. So that'll, it'll debut at these uh, signings, hopefully. Awesome. Okay. Uh, for realsies this time, thank you for your time. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. Talking. <laughs> it was and i'd love to have you on whenever you like in the future and i can't wait to meet you yep that'll be cool we are in your mind we are all around you are now leaving deadhead space